So I set up two years ago a project called Survivor Stories and that's an online platform for long-form interviews with any survivors of sexual violence and that's kind of done several things. I think there's the aim around language in the media, there's also the language around victim blaming and the idea that survivors look a certain way or rape happens in a certain set of circumstances. So for example there's often this disproportionate coverage in the media of stranger rape in an alley and it's generally a young pretty white woman and that's not to say that that doesn't happen but it's proportionately quite a small subgroup within survivors so I wanted to create somewhere that had a just a, a kind of tapestry of different voices and different experiences different relationships to perpetrators different ages races genders so it can kind of start answering back you know if somebody says oh well that happened because she was drunk you can say well <laughs> I don't agree with you and how do you account for for these people how do you account for this demographic then you can kind of start to break down some of these really tiresome out-of-date stereotypes by just sort of weight of evidence really hello and welcome to the women of the future podcast a podcast made in collaboration with the women of the future program a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders as well as support and celebrate the successes of women I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Lizzie Denning is a British journalist who has written about health, lifestyle and feminism for publications including The Guardian, Grazia, The Huffington Post, Marie Claire, Elle and The Independent. Passionate about using her writing to help survivors of sexual violence, since 2016 Lizzie has volunteered at Peterborough Rape Crisis Care Group and is Vice Chair of their Board of Trustees. Lizzie founded the Survivor Stories Project in December 2019, available at www.survivorstories.co.uk, with the intention of using her skills in writing, interviewing and editing to help survivors of sexual violence to tell their stories in their own words, transcribed and edited with full consent. With the long-term ambition of creating an archive of stories from all over the world, from all ages, genders, sexualities and races, Lizzie describes the website as being available for anyone who needs it. Lizzie was the winner of the 2020 Women of the Future Awards in the media category. So I'm from Cambridge in the UK, obviously, and I'm an only child, so I think I probably got a lot more attention than other children might do. Yeah, I grew up in Cambridge. I went to an all-girls school. And yeah, I think I I was interested in quite a lot of different things, which I think is something that's been quite consistent throughout my life and I think is a real, a good hand to hold if you're a journalist. 
What were you like at school? Were you a diligent student, hardworking, nosing a book, or were you, like you say, a little bit of everything? I think I was quite average, to be honest. I think I was kind of fine at most things. I don't think I particularly excelled at anything and was quite comfortable and had quite a lot of good friendships that continue to, to this day. I didn't really have that moment where you know what you want to do until much later. I went to university and I did uh, English and creative writing and that led to me doing an NCTJ fast track magazine journalism course at Harlow. And it was really there that I was kind of like, oh, <laughs> this, this is the thing. I'm good at this. This is what I'm good at. And I think that then unlocked the very diligent, competitive, all guns blazing, ambitious woman in me to be like, yes, this is the thing. Um, yeah, I always have a theory that if you went to university just a little bit later, even just like two or three years later than you do, because it's all quite sequential, isn't it? You do one thing and then another thing and then another thing. But if you actually took a moment to pause and take stock and actually think, right, what do I want to do? What am I good at? What do I like, etc.? then you might actually, like you, obviously quite fortunately found something that you were very good at, but you might actually have time to just give yourself a chance to cotton on to what the right path might be. Do you think that's right for you? Absolutely. And I think that continues to be the case. I'm still, I'm 34 and I'm still having moments where I go, oh, that sounds really interesting. Maybe that should be an area that I move further into I think you're you're constantly finding things that that align with you that perhaps didn't earlier or you've not given much thought and I think that's certainly I think that's a very exciting element of being self-employed is that I've kind of got the time and the space to investigate an area and just see what feels good and when you started to like venture into magazine journalism in the first instance, would you say there was like a standout moment or maybe a person that helped to start mould you into what you have now eventually kind of gone on to become and to do? I think, um, so I started in on a local newspaper in Cambridge and then I moved into magazines, predominantly either features or digital I don't think there was a particular person and I think one of the sort of limitations of traditional journalism is that I've always been made to feel a little bit too much, a little bit like I've not always been encouraged to pursue a variety of interests and I, I've always freelanced on the side. That's something I've always made a part of my paid work um, and, and sometimes that's been supported and other times less so but it's always been very important to me to feel like I'm progressing sideways as well mm. as kind of directly up. Um, and was, and the free, was the freelance stuff that you were doing was that completely different to your day job or was it all quite similar? Um, it was it tended to be quite wildly different publications so yes yeah, so I did a lot for example for Grazia and I was working on like a, a 50 plus women's mag so I was doing a lot more kind of glamorous stuff and going to premieres and um, having lovely press trips and stuff so it was also a way to kind of supplement what is not a particularly you know a salary to write home about but it also made me feel like I could kind of have some kind of control over my career and I wasn't just sitting and waiting to be recognised or waiting to be promoted. I, I mean, this sounds really cheesy and I kind of hate myself for saying it, but I, I think 
almost like a mental figure has actually been my husband I <laughs> know that's not a very feminist answer but um yeah, that's really lovely he um he's been self-employed since before I met him and we've been together sort of 12 years and I've really grown up in that time you know I was only 23 when we met and I think I now am following advice that he gave me <laughs> like <laughs> Um, begrudgingly or quite happily happily because I'm ready for it now I've, I've yeah. kind of forward a bit whereas he's a little bit older he won't thank me for saying that um <laughs> so he he's kind of been around the block a bit more and he always given me very good advice he always says don't look sideways you know don't kind of suffer from professional jealousy which is something I really did struggle with when I was mm. younger things like if a platform doesn't exist then just create it just make the thing and then you're not waiting to be greenlit and I think I went into work with quite a traditional view almost like the sort of lean in view of you go somewhere and you make an impression and you network and you do unpaid work and you kind of meet the head of the corporation that you work for and you bring them ideas and you eventually kind of climb the ladder and you become an editor or whatever your industry is and I, I did all of that and it just never it never happened for whatever reason. And I found that very frustrating. And now I, I feel very different. That isn't what I want anymore. But these are things he's been saying for years. And it's nice because he never says, I told you so. And I just think the urge to do that must be almost overwhelming. So <laughs> <laughs> I've got so, I've literally got so much that I want to ask you. But um, okay. <laughs> I think it's, also, I think it's brilliant that your husband is your kind of mentor. And I feel, I feel very similarly. I think with my husband, I know that obviously we'll, we're both part of the Women of the Future Network, obviously this is the name mm. of this podcast. And when I collected my award, the one main person I wanted to thank was him. Because I could not have done anything that I've done in my life that has been of note without him having, first and foremost, kind of supported me, but also enabled me and told me that I could do it, which sounds very much what yeah. the kind of thing that your husband is saying to you. Yeah. So the kind of thing, the enablement part is a huge factor for me. But also, I wanted to touch on something you kind of alluded to there, which was, I know a lot of brilliant women who are held back by fear. And you can get mm. comfortable, can't you? If you work for a big organization or a very prestigious one or one that everybody knows and you commit to it and then all of a sudden you get fearful. And I think particularly as a woman, when you reach like these markers in your life and obviously we're the ones that have children and all that that mm. entails and all of those considerations, do you think fear ever really held you back at all? Yes, absolutely. I think I never, ever would have chosen to go freelance. I think I maybe eventually maybe you know in 20 years if I'm really like desperate but I, it never was a thing that appealed to me I just thought that's not what we've been taught that's not what the goal is that's not what we're pushing for you know we're pushing for the Melanie Griffiths working girl <laughs> office and perm and I got made redundant and I spent a month scrabbling around desperately applying for things that were really beneath me, like things I would have made a substantial financial loss on and things that were much beneath my abilities and where I'd work to. And then not even getting no's and going, oh, my God. And I just thought, well, you know, you freelance on the side for whatever it was, like 10 years by that point. So just just give it a go and you can always carry on applying for things. And I never wanted to go back. I've loved it. And I think actually, in a way, it was quite nice to be forced to do it because I didn't have the fear of people going, that was a stupid, th why did you chuck in like a really 
a job for this whereas you know if you lost your job everyone's supportive obviously and you're kind of starting from nothing and it's been great I've, I've loved it I yeah I mean not to say it's not hard there's different challenges that come with working for yourself but I wouldn't ever want to go back I don't think it'd have to be a very good job and people would have to be very nice to me to persuade me to go back to um, <laughs> the sort of traditional nine to five employment it's interesting as well because redundancy is almost like a dirty word isn't it mm -hmm. it's almost like the word that you're not supposed to stay I mean we've spoken about it before I've been made redundant three times in my life and I think one of the biggest things I learned first and foremost is that the role is redundant not the person and I don't know I don't know how you found it because it's not a nice experience obviously but it sounds like for you it probably kick-started being self-employed obviously but also kick started a really good thing for you and a really positive thing that had come out of something that everyone always perceives as being quite negative yeah I mean don't get me wrong I was furious because I think part of that whole you know what ambition looks like in, in quotes is um I I feel that we're sold this idea of don't rock the boat don't you know stay in your lane because because that's what security is and you know anytime I've I've felt like I've pushed away from that the kind of party line of organizations is always you know you need to be more grateful for for what you have here and that's not to say that I haven't had jobs that I've been grateful for or that I haven't worked with encouraging editors but ultimately it's just a lie isn't it especially within journalism it's about the least secure industry there is at the moment and it's horrible and I think everywhere I've worked I've felt this looming spectre of redundancy and actually when it happened it wasn't the worst thing that could have happened I think it was much worse I've had a much worse time in jobs where I've been miserable than I ever have working for myself I think yes yeah, some really good stuff's come out of it it's given me space and time and flexibility to actually work out what I'm interested in and what I'm not interested in because you know when you work for someone you do what you're given don't you that's yeah. part of the deal you sign and at least 50% of any jobs there's been stuff I didn't really care about that much for me it was always social media I just you know I see it's important but it, it's not it doesn't get me out of bed in the morning so it's been nice to have that. I mean, obviously I've been extremely lucky. I know it's not the same for everybody. And I think it was a lot easier for me getting made redundant a bit later on in my career where I had good contacts and I've got people who've got my back and I've got editors who I've got a good relationship with and I've got a portfolio that demonstrates what I can do. So I, I appreciate it's not, it's not the sort of golden opportunity for everybody immediately. But I would say that if you're looking down the barrel of that gun, there might be things that come out of it that you you weren't anticipating that will be good and you've openly said that everything positive that's happened in your career you would say has happened as a result of being your own boss and as an ambitious woman it means that you can be unapologetic about being driven which is again something that we're all often negatively associated with that word driven I try not to get my high horse about this because I know not all men think this way but if you associated the word driven to a man it would have much more positive connotations than it would with a woman, you know, being like hard-headed, confident, bossy, all of those kind of words. But this is something that you've clearly thrived in and at. 
Yeah, I remember there was an exercise once at work. It wasn't like a team built, it was like a managerial exercise. And we had to pick words off a list that applied to us. And mine was so alien to everybody else's. And they were really nice about it. They didn't make me feel bad about it. But I felt like, is this weird that I've picked kind of ambition and purpose and, and very drive oriented uh, words? And I, I think one of the nice things about being self-employed is you can explore the different facets of yourself and you don't have to answer to anybody. And if people don't like it, that's absolutely fine. Like they, they're not stuck in an office with you. So you can kind of, not that the freelancing was ever secret. I was kind of open about it, but I always felt a bit, you know, Batman, Bruce Wayne, kind of <laughs> double life about it because I was aware that none of my colleagues did that. And while they were nice about it, I felt, awkward I, I didn't feel it was embraced put it that way it was kind of a neutral thing whereas with my friends they like that about me they always mm. you know they like that I'm always doing something different and they're interested in the different facets of my work or I hope they are they do a very good job of pretending they are if not <laughs> and talking about different facets of your work and you mentioned earlier about side hustles and other interests so you volunteered didn't you for the Peterborough Rape Crisis Care Group in 2016 is that right yeah it's and, roughly like five years something like and that. you're now the vice chair of their board of trustees and it's led on to something else quite remarkable did you want to tell us more about that yeah, so I, this came about in a period of kind of deep frustration where I was just feeling like what I was doing was fine, but it didn't really matter. And I, I sort of felt like a lot of the things I was kind of writing about were quite superficial, which is fine in and of itself. I still do write about things that are superficial, but I, I was kind of desperate for a bit of balance. So I was looking for kind of local charities who needed volunteers and I ended up volunteering with them um, and then joining the board. And it really did change my career. And that wasn't what I anticipated. I, um, I got very involved in the charity because it's quite small. And that's the nice thing about being part of the smaller charities. You get to know the kind of ins and outs quite quickly. And it kind of brought to my attention lots of the issues around sexual violence. And in particular, because of my own interests, the limitations of much of traditional media coverage not everybody and not all publications obviously but quite often I would kind of use my experience within the charity to pitch articles and I would keep coming up against the same problems there would be kind of mostly case study um, problems you know editors would give quite short notice and then say a case study wasn't right and then you'd have to relay that back which is just horrible especially because there'd often be quite shaky reasons as to, to why someone wasn't right and or, such sensitive stories as well how yeah, you're supposed to tell a victim of rape that their story is not good enough exactly and particularly when the whole narrative about rape can often be self-blame mm. um if you're then telling someone well, your story is not right often people take from that the message that they're not being believed and obviously that's not the case but you can't really communicate that and then there's limitations with things like word count you know stories are quite often compressed and I understand why that is um, there's limitations of, of print but it means that stories quite often seem linear and trauma isn't really linear and I think if you read enough of those stories and you are suffering 
it makes you feel again like there's something wrong with you like you're not healing properly and you know things are meant to go in a kind of curve and actually for a, more of a sort of roller coaster shape that's something that's unusual and of course it isn't also things like having to be named and photographed some publications will accept anonymous case studies but the preference is always that they be named and photographed and i think there's about a hundred reasons someone might not want to do that and again it suggests that their story is somehow not legit you know why don't you want to be named and photographed well maybe it's not the first thing you want to come up when someone googles you for example it doesn't mean that your story is not true so essentially my frustrations with the process of telling these stories made me want to set up a project so i set up two years ago a project called survivor stories and that's an online platform for long-form interviews with any survivors of sexual violence and that's kind of done several things i think there's the aim around language in the media there's also the language around victim blaming and the idea that survivors look a certain way or rape happens in a certain set of circumstances so for example there's often this disproportionate coverage in the media of stranger rape in an alley and it's generally a young pretty white woman and that's not to say that that doesn't happen but it's proportionately quite a small subgroup within survivors so I wanted to create somewhere that had a just a, a kind of tapestry of different voices and different experiences different relationships to perpetrators different ages races genders so it can kind of start answering back you know if somebody says oh well that happened because she was drunk you can say well <laughs> I don't agree with you and how do you account for for these people how do you account for this demographic then you can kind of start to break down some of these really tiresome out of date stereotypes by just sort of weight of evidence really it must be such a challenge for you because i can't imagine obviously two stories are not the same two days are not the same and just to have that constant exposure to that kind of information as much as it's so so important to have these stories told how do you manage it personally because it must be quite challenging because I work in journalism and I've had situations where I've been exposed to lots of mental health stories for example and found it difficult how do you manage it yeah I'm not gonna lie it can be difficult and certainly I found it hard last year just because of the pandemic and everything else everything felt quite magnified and some of the techniques I would normally use kind of getting out of the house and going for a swim and stuff mm. like that weren't available to me so I I did less on the project last year than I would have liked to. I mean, it's a funny one. In a, in a way, it is really hard and it is really dark, but it's also, it can be very uplifting because, you know, I'm, I'm very clear about the parameters of what the project is and I'm not a therapist, I'm not trained. Mm. I'm, I'm only trained as a journalist and I can only offer an interview. And because of that, often the people who come to me, it's quite a while down their road so sometimes they're doing pretty well or they've found tools that have helped them and they're always very passionate about being able to share their story and, and they feel more often than not I hope certainly the feedback suggests they feel empowered by doing it it's a choice they've made 
and quite often survivors don't have that choice unless you choose to tell your family and friends which many don't the people you might have to tell are the police or maybe support services and i think it can be quite empowering for them to choose to do it you know i don't approach to them so it's a kind of funny mixture it can be kind of uplifting at the same time as being harrowing and also through the charity that i am on the board of i've been offered kind of clinical supervision so that's been really helpful just having someone there who understands what it's like to hear a lot of these stories and i can just kind of offload to her yeah i mean it is a challenge but i think it balances quite nicely with the other work that I do and a bit like I was saying earlier I think I would struggle if it was the only thing I did but because I don't box myself in in that way if I'm having a you know a rough day I just won't transcribe a rape interview (laughs) you know pitch something about to all the boys I've loved before or you know um, do something fluffy Um, and that's that's the beauty of freelance journalism is can I recommend Married at First Sight Australia I'm just going to put that out there brilliant yeah but it all kind of harks back to you having control right taking back control over your nine till five and as much as that seemed really intimidating and not necessarily something you'd plan to do it's actually turned into something that has meant you work on these worthwhile projects that are meaningful to you and I'm assuming I mean one of my standard questions is what are you particularly proud of and I would imagine this is above and beyond what you ever anticipated that your career could end up being yeah yeah I'm, I'm very proud of the project and I'm, I'm I'm humbled by it to be honest because especially by the first couple of people who spoke to me where I didn't even have the website I was just some crazy journalist who just said oh would you mind meeting up mm. and having a coffee and just reliving some really traumatizing details and that was amazing that they did that and that people continue to do that and the feedback's been really lovely. So yeah, I am incredibly proud of that. And I'm also proud of my my kind of other professional baby, which is um, a newsletter I started last year called Out of Office, which is aimed at self-employed women. And that has also been really lovely and an opportunity to create a community for myself as much as for others. It is for others, but I also benefit from it to just kind of talk about being self-employed and being women and what that is like and um to share some of the challenges and the frustrations and just Mm. have a little safe space to vent about you know an editor ghosting my emails or somebody asking me to do some work at 10 p.m on a friday night or whatever so that's been nice and i think that's quite a nice balance to survivor stories because they're both about communities and they're both about kind of shared voices but out of office is a lot more light-hearted and I get to write in the first person which obviously I don't get to do in mm. and be silly and use pictures of Julia Roberts and um, <laughs> they, they kind of work really nicely together because I think that they both it sounds kind of arrogant to say I think that they both make people's lives better in a small way but I hope that they do yeah so I'm kind of proud of the sort of chameleon abilities <laughs> of Many self-employed women, actually. It's not, it's not just a sort of journalistic thing. When people contribute to the Out of Office blog, or is it more for them to read and send any comments, or how does it work? Is it yeah, interactive? So the newsletter itself isn't. It's just a sort of first-person... Well, it's first-person, but it's interviews with experts, because I'm not an expert. And 
on kind of drilled down topics that are applicable to most self-employed women but then I do kind of live events so we do like a, a monthly accountability zoom which is just lovely and they've been going for kind of long enough now that I recognize the people who are coming up and I know I know what they're working on so I'm kind of progressing in real time like you know how's your book how's your PhD yeah, how's brilliant. you know how's the project you were setting up and then I do webinars and things so there's interactivity but it's quite live and that's really nice because as I say social media is not really my thing so I much prefer to actually have a chat with people. And how did you first hear about the Woman of the Future programme and how did you get involved? Yes I think I found it I think I was looking at networking during the pandemic because obviously my traditional methods of networking were, were limited and I'd had a couple of disappointing online networking experiences with people where I felt they were just giving me the hard sell so I was a little bit skeptical I have to say and then from the first event I went to with women of the future I was like oh wow <laughs> not only is this a very high caliber of people you know it, it does give you a bit of um imposter syndrome to be honest like some of the women who are um at the events you just think oh my goodness um high achievers but also people have been very nice I had like a coffee with the other shortlisted women in my category and already from that like I've gone on to have other meetups with them and you know somebody sent me a long email with like a really helpful contact that was immediately really useful to me so it's been great it's been exactly what I needed actually and lots of women who I imagine have been made to feel like they're too much before and would definitely pick the word ambitious out of a list of words so I'm just like oh good <laughs> these are my people <laughs> you found your tribe yeah exactly right I have some quick fire questions are you ready yes what would you describe as your greatest success yeah, so I guess we, I guess I've, I've sort of covered it already, but I think the realization that I didn't have to get everything I wanted from one job, that has just blown my mind to kind of understand that there's things I need from work. So I need money, I need stability, I need to be creative, I want to feel like I'm helping people, and actually breaking that down and going, okay, you can't have all of that from everything. So you can write articles and get paid and you can set up survivor stories and you can help people and you can run out of office and you can be chatty and funny and I think that realization has really made me happier just has has kind of allowed me to not have to kind of feel restricted and your greatest failure I mean, I feel like in a way, like most of my career has just been a succession of failures. <laughs> and, and, and that's okay. <laughs> I think, yeah, I had this idea of what success looked like and had hundreds of job applications for different things and really wanted to kind of move up the ladder and become an editor. And that never happened. And actually, I think, I think I'm okay with that. Like actually the editors I talk to, they all seem horribly overworked and very stressed. And I am an editor of my own <laughs> my own creation <laughs> it doesn't look the way I thought it would but I think I'm a lot yeah a lot calmer and a lot more fulfilled as cheesy as that sounds I'm a great believer in fate and I think in your case yeah. it never has it been more applicable yeah the mantra of the woman of the future is kindness and collaboration as you know what does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life yeah, I think it's really important. And I, I especially think when you're self-employed, 
not forgetting about collaboration is important because it can be quite easy to kind of go all guns blazing and you know I'm doing this for myself but you go a bit mad and I think all of the projects I do involve collaboration. I think Survivor Stories wouldn't exist without survivors. If people didn't collaborate with me, it would be a very lonely, <laughs> lonely <laughs> piece of work, really. And being involved with the charity has been amazing. Out of office is a community. I think community underpins the work I'm interested in. And the work I'm moving into is also looking like it's going to be collaborative as well. Is there anything that scares you? I mean, it depends on the day. Um, I think there's always something, isn't there? Um, how, about, how about today? How are you feeling today? The day I launched a Patreon for Out of Office, and that was really scary. But I think ultimately the thing I'm most scared about is kind of, it's a real privilege to be able to offer myself as a voice piece for people who want to share their stories who either don't feel able to or don't feel represented by the media or want to be anonymous. And that's been a real privilege to write opinion pieces and say, this is how survivors feel. Here are some quotes from survivors. This is the kind of overwhelming feeling. And that's something that makes me incredibly proud and fulfilled. But I worry about getting it wrong. I worry that it's such a sensitive topic. And obviously not everybody is the same. That's kind of the whole point of survivor stories is saying everybody's different. So I worry about making a statement that is applicable to 99% of survivors, but then 1% feeling alienated by it and I, th I think that's a concern I should have that is a healthy concern I think there'd be something wrong if I didn't feel that but yeah it does make me anxious because the last thing I want to do is make things worse for people what's left on your to-do list oh everything um <laughs> very very long <laughs> this year <laughs> it's campaign work I think that's an area I've been really interested in moving into for a while and what kind of I thing in the same so, remit yeah because yeah. survivor stories has its limitations in terms of what i can do time-wise it's an unfunded project and each interview takes a lot of working days the next step i'm not winding it down per se but the next step for me is moving into campaign work around media because i think i sit in quite an unusual venn diagram of someone who is kind of in both worlds and is aware of the problems that keep coming up again and again and again and we shouldn't still be having them mm. so I'm working on creating a, a pledge for journalists to hopefully sign my my other fear is that no one will sign it but you've got to start somewhere <laughs> so just having some some simple points about basic standards really and hopefully people will sign it and agree that these are I think it's it's not malice it's just everybody's very pushed for time and I think mm. things get missed off it's dead easy to fall into stereotypes isn't it or just terminology and language that you're just a bit overly familiar with or even like subconsciously sometimes as well that you don't necessarily take a step back and think where that's come from or how it might be perceived yeah. it's, very, it's very dangerous isn't it exactly so yeah that's that's my next my next phase I think so it sounds very exciting the world is your oyster yeah I'm, I'm excited about it and scared but I think that's good isn't it <laughs> generally the sign that you're doing the right thing if you're a bit a bit anxious and a bit a bit excited it's a healthy fear it's a good one yeah I think so thank you so much Lizzie for your time you. I really appreciate it. it's been lovely speaking to you and getting to know more about you and the brilliant things that you do so thank you very much <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you. It's been lovely. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.